Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. Buzz Eisenberg is off today, and we are joined by Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. So timely, Max, yesterday at UMass Amherst, there was a demonstration is part of a statewide series of demonstrations and actions regarding the state budget, something that perhaps does not get as much attention as it need to, but it's getting a lot of attention today because, well, we don't have one. And how to put this, it's December. Last I knew, the fiscal year began July 1st. This has enormous implications for workers across the Commonwealth and particularly here in Western Massachusetts. What's going on? Max, talk to us. Well, Bill, it's an extremely frustrating situation. Um, th- th- there has been talk about passing a what's called a supplemental budget. After they pass the regular budget, then they have to pass supplemental budget. You know, things additional that happen that need to be um, addressed, as well as uh, funding contracts for 60,000 state workers. This could have been done anytime from, frankly, from late June all the way through this fall, and the legislature failed to do it even at their own deadline of November 15th. And what that's meant is that state workers have not gotten raises they negotiated six months ago, um, but also migrants to our communities are not, are, are, being left out in the cold because there's a huge amount of money that's in this budget that would help provide shelter for migrants and for whatever reasons internal disputes between the house and the senate whatever the issues are they've now held this thing up for months and months and well past uh the november 15th deadline for having a formal session of the legislature so well let's go down that road for a bit there's no formal session of the legislature now, and there won't be, as I understand it, until next year. And in the so-called informal session of the legislature, if one one member objects, then the bill can't pass. So what's the outlook for the contracts being funded for people receiving the raises that they have negotiated for and then waiting for all these many, many months, and for persons to receive the housing they so desperately need, are we supposed to be standing on a ledge here, or this is going to get resolved? Well, Bill, I honestly don't know. What what the big development was that finally, the Democrats, of course, have but you know veto-proof majorities in both houses, finally agreed to. And uh, uh, what the bill would look like, what the supplemental budget would look like. So that's an important step. That was the biggest thing that was holding us up. But as you said, once the legislature is in what's called informal session, um, which means most people are not there, and really the business has to be consensus business. If there's any objection, as there has been by Republicans, then it can't move forward. So they are trying again today. The House will be in session at 11 a.m., so they're hoping and pushing for Republicans not to object. But if they object, then who knows what we may uh, have to. They may have to go back into what's what's again called formal session and vote to go in there. That's a very rare thing to do after their November 15th deadline. But basically, for our members in the MTA who were protesting at UMass Amherst and Berkshire Community College and Mass College of Liberal Arts and all across the state. We don't really care how they get it done. They have to get it done. They have to do their jobs. 
which is fund contracts which no one is objecting to, but they've been bundled into some contentious issue either around shelter for migrants or around other issues that are leaving um, these 60,000 state workers without raises that they duly negotiated, ratified six months ago. So if the legislature does not go back into formal session, well, I guess I should back up and, and ask you the more direct question. If it can't be done in informal session, will the state legislature go back into formal session so that they can have a vote where the majority rules? Uh, I have no idea. Our, our focus is on today. They're coming back to informal session. We hope there that the, Re the Republicans now will go with this with this deal. Um, Republican members have been saying that they don't they want to make sure that state workers get their raises. So we hope that they will not stand in the way of a deal today so that this can get going. If, the, if this doesn't happen by Monday or Tuesday of next week, then the 60,000 state workers will not see those raises until uh, after the holidays in, into the new year. So this is, people have been waiting far, far too long for this. And so we don't know, that might be an option, is that the legislature would try to come back at this formal session on Monday or Tuesday, but we want it to happen, we want it to be done today. What says the leadership, State Senate President Karen Spilka, the uh, uh, governor, where have the leaders of the state been on this? Well, I will say that in terms of our contracts for state workers, the governor did her job. She negotiated and then submitted them as is her job. Now she's just waiting to sign the budget bill. So, uh, but really up until now, it's been whatever disputes between the House and Senate has delayed this now for months, but now they haven't reached agreement. So now the question is simply how they get um, Republicans to to not object or go into formal session. So that's what we are waiting for. And we'll have a resolution, or if not a resolution, at least a process in place by next week? Well, we hope if it doesn't get done today, then it's another open question about whether they return to formal session. I mean, look, this is all part of the opaque work of the legislature, and members are really furious about the way this uh, seems to be held up, you know, that the, the contracts for state workers are like a football of some political football between the two houses. And we think they should, that we ultimately have to solve this now and then also solve the problem of this happening repeatedly, which it does. The contracts for state workers, which are not, no one is objecting to, um, get bundled in to this much larger budget and becomes a whole political battle. And they look dysfunctional. I mean, it's it's not as bad, obviously, as the, the events and the circumstances in Washington, D.C. and the House of Representatives there. But it's a bad look for state elected officials, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's it's not it's a bad look, this individual case. But as the as the Globe reported the other day, there's. This is one of the least efficient legislatures um, over many, you know, over several years. In fact, this year it's passed the fewest bills, taken the fewest votes of perhaps any legislature in the country. So we have a problem here that's, that while we have a Democratic governor, Democratic House and Senate, you would think that it, they'd be able to then get some very important things done, not just budgets, but housing policy, frankly, education policy, higher ed policy. It seems like they cannot move forward very, very efficiently. That's really, that is disturbing and dysfunctional.
Well, I guess we'll know more when today. Uh, we will know. It's possible that they will have a late night as they keep open the legislature and try to negotiate and horse trade or pressure. Um, but it is also possible that they sometimes what they do is if they haven't gotten a deal, they open the legislature for 15 minutes and they say, OK, see you Monday. And that would be so distressing for our members. And we represent 18,000 public higher education members all across the state who did their jobs and are doing their jobs every day. And yet the legislature is not. Let's turn, Max, if we might, to another topic I know of great importance to the Massachusetts Teachers Association, the organization of which you are the president. And that is the event that will occur next week, Wednesday, I believe, regarding MCAS. What's going to happen? Yes. So um, on Wednesday, is it's the last day for those who are pursuing ballot initiatives for the November 2024 ballot to deliver their certified signatures to the state house. And I am proud to say that the MTA and its allies have gathered 130,000 signatures from around the state in order to end the use of the MCAS, the standardized test, for purposes of determining who gets a diploma. And we have, it's been incredible how the outpouring of support, um, that's more signatures than any other ballot initiative this cycle. And we are going to be delivering them to the Secretary of State's office on December 6th with parents, students, and educators. Once the, that document is delivered to the Secretary of State's office and is accepted, and i got to tell you, it makes me a little nervous. You really have to do this the last day? Couldn't you do it the day before? So I could take a deep breath and say, yes, it's done. Well, well I'll tell you about that in a second, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, so my question is, what's the process is going to be. It will be certified to be on the ballot. Great. Uh, but before then, the legislature has at least the option to try to act to not put the bill so that the bill would not go before the voters, but would in fact would be passed in some form by the legislature. Is that possible? Sure. So that's exactly right, Bill. We deliver these actual pieces of paper with that people signed all across the state that have been uh, you know, certified by the diff every single city and town clerk. And then the Secretary of State has to kind of certify them as well. So before January 1. So that office um, will say, yes, in fact, these are fully certified. It now becomes a bill in the legislature. In other words, our ballot initiative will be presented as a piece of legislation that the, that the legislature has to deal with. So there will be a hearing sometime probably January, February, March, um, I assume before the Education Committee, and they will have to consider that, and we would hope that they would pass it once they, now that they see the enormous support there is uh, for eliminating the high stakes part of the MCAS. Okay, so I don't mean to be the student uh, in the back of the class who hasn't been paying attention here, but it seems to me that if the legislature wanted to do something to eliminate the high stakes aspect of MCAS, that it could have, would have, should have done it long before this. And the ballot initiative is the people saying, we want this law, and it would become a law. And the legislature, well, hasn't been looking at it, hasn't been taking any action. Why does the delivery of the signatures change the playing field, or does it? 
Well, Bill, look, exactly right. We've been working on this for years. I remember bringing my 11-year-old daughter to the state house to testify about less testing, more learning back in 2014 or 2015. Um, and you know what? The legislature hasn't acted. So one way in this state we have uh, to deal with a situation when the legislature is not responding to what the population wants is we go right to the people and go right to the ballot. So it is possible now that the legislature will say, wow, there's really support and they're going to go to the ballot anyway. So let's let's try to work on it uh, and get it done uh, internally. That's what we would hope that they would pass the bill. It's a very simple bill. It does not eliminate the standardized test called the MCAS. That's a federal law to have the yearly testing. What it does is eliminate the use of the test to deny someone a diploma. Only eight states in the nation do that, including Alabama and Texas and Florida. So that's what we're trying to do. And we think that we've had growing support for that uh, idea that let's not use the MCAS to make a high stakes decision. It harms English language learners, it ha harms working class students. It has generally been shown to not be effective at achieving any kind of narrowing of the so-called achievement gap. Now, if the legislature passes a bill along these lines, does that eliminate the ballot question next year? If they pass the identical bill, then yes. If it's exactly the way we've written it in the, ba in the ballot question, that would obviate the need for the ballot. If they try to do something slightly different and, you know, tweak it or change it or make some other, you know, you know, additions, then that is up to the people, that is the MTA and its allies who got this on the ballot to decide whether we think that's acceptable or not. But we are in the driver's seat. The people are in the driver's seat because we will now have enough signatures to go to the ballot. So you, that's that's the way it would work. Do you know where the Speaker of the House and the Senate President? Senate President are with regard to this? They know it's coming. Yes, I do. we do not know. Um, we know that there are different moments. There's been more than 100 legislators who have called on the, the, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education to not raise cut scores, that is the scores that qualify for graduation. There's been a growing number who's, so there's 80, 80 or not, 85 or 90 almost legislators who've supported the larger bill called the Thrive Act, which would do exactly get, get rid of the graduation requirement and also end receivership like in Holyoke. Uh, so there is broad support for reforming our high stakes testing system. Max, go back to that question. Why do you have to do this at the 11th hour and the 59th minute? Couldn't you give us a day so I could take a breath and say, it's done? That is the <laughs> <laughs> we would we would love it to be done. Indeed, both of these issues would be loved to have them done. No, I mean by delivering the signatures, the pages themselves oh. to the secretary. Of State's oh, office. you know, here's the problem. Let me just explain. There are 10 ballot initiatives and Uber and Lyft have filed five nearly identical ballot initiatives. And the staff of the secretary of state's office has to go through each one to make sure that each sheet is legitimate. It is not, um, it doesn't have stray marks or things that would disqualify it. So they have asked that we not bring it in dribs and drabs. We have sent in some number already, but we will put in the final bunch uh, on December 6th. But yes, we're, we're going to make sure those are protected. And the total number of signatures that you have from uh, registered voters in the Commonwealth saying, yes, we want this on the ballot. And if the legislature won't act, we want 
to have this in the hands of the people. How many people have signed? We have signed, gotten 130,000 signatures, and we gathered those in just about eight weeks. So it's an incredible outpouring. People were grabbing for the signature forms because they wanted to sign on. Max Page is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. This has been your state You Thank you so much, Max. Thank you, Bill. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. This Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m., Boss Game Mountain in Pittsfield is offering a 30% discount on any 8-hour lift ticket. Boss Game's family-friendly vibe welcomes everyone. Whether it's your first time skiing or you're a pro on the slopes, we can't wait to see you on the mountain. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Boss Game Mountain in Pittsfield, Mass. Available this Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Of all the boys, they're hot. Of all the boys, boys, so hot. They're the Hot Sardines, one of New York City's hottest jazz bands, and they are coming to town. About Memphis to shame, please let me explain. About Memphis to shame means that you're grand. The Hot Sardines Holiday Stomp, Thursday, December 7th at UMass. Swing into the season with the romping, rollicking sounds of the hot sardines. Oh, by gosh, by jingle, it's time for carols and Kris Kringle. The hot sardines' lighthearted and lively mix of hot jazz, swing, and stride is irresistible. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. The Hot Sardines Holiday Stomp, a very merry night at UMass, Thursday, December 7th in Bowker Auditorium. Brace yourself for the ultimate holiday deal with Consumer Cellular. Snag an incredible 50% off the Iris Flip when you buy before December 17th, making it only $34.50. The Iris Flip is all the phone and camera you need with a user-friendly design, the perfect flip phone companion. Plus, you'll get nationwide coverage and always free activation. Score 50% off when you use promo code RADIO50. Head over to ConsumerCellular.com and use promo code RADIO50 during checkout to score this deal. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. This Sunday will be the 20th anniversary of the Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage, the 20th anniversary. And we have with us in the studio to help celebrate and have you know more about it, Marianne Winters, who is the Executive Director of Safe Passage, and Natalie Ulrich, who is the Director of Development. Marianne Winters, I am so pleased that you are here. I am so grateful that you are uh, continuing this vitally important work. Natalie, I'm so impressed with the work that you do and that Safe Passage does, and I'm so impressed with the contributions and uh, devotion that this community has shown to the work of Safe Passage. That said... It's a little bit like the food bank opening this enormous new facility, which is fabulous, except that it says we have a need for an enormous new facility in order to combat food insecurity and hunger here in western Massachusetts. 
And I'm so pleased about the hot chocolate one for safe passage. But it also says that 20 years later, that combating uh, domestic violence is still a societal issue here, a community issue here that has not been resolved. Kind of the yin and the yang of it. I'd appreciate your reflections on that. Let me start with Marianne Winters, the executive director of Safe Passage. Well, you, your comments make total sense. And as far as the food bank and other organizations, part of the solution is all of us working together. So yes, domestic violence is still a really important issue. You know, 20 years later, we're talking about an entire generation. So um, of, of people within this community, um, I really do believe that each person who learns something about domestic violence helps bring us a little bit closer to the end of it. But the forces that are kind of against us, that we're working against societal oppression, um, poverty, um, you know, patriarchy, sexism, all of those things are embedded in our society in a way that, you know, it, t it takes minute incremental change day to day in order to get where we need to be. Tell us what Safe Passage does, what its programs are. So we, we have a variety of programs that um, provide a really a comprehensive approach to, for survivors. Um, we do counseling and advocacy. That's what people are most familiar with. And our counseling and advocacy is organized around um, specialties in, uh, in communities that are marginalized within our communities. So we really take the approach that if we can reach people who are marginalized, we can reach anybody, right? So um, we have a disability services um, coordinator. We have someone who specializes in working with LGBTQ folks, um, some, uh, an immigration specialist, uh, a uh, Latinx counselor advocate, a mental health specialist. We also have a legal program um, that provides free advice and counsel in probate and family court, which is pretty incredible. It's, it's a, a rare thing um, among domestic violence programs. And we have a whole prevention array of, of work that we do um, for adults as well as teens. And the headquarters for Safe Passage is here in Northampton. Yes, it is. Now, this, this weekend... This Sunday, beginning at, I believe, 8 o'clock, the hot chocolate run for Safe Passage, the 20th anniversary of this event, will start. It is obviously a really important event for the community and for Safe Passage, and it is a fundraising event, and there are crucial goals uh, right. for Safe Passage, and perhaps uh, Natalie Ulrich, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yes. Good, because um, I'm not very good on last <laughs> names. Sometimes I'm pretty bad on first names, too. That said, um, tell us about the goals and tell us what the run and the walk are and how it's going to play out. Sure, yeah. So at 8 o'clock on Sunday, the venue will open, so anyone who needs to still pick up their bib, et cetera, can do that starting around 8 o'clock. That would be the running and walking The bib. running and the yes. walking bib. Everyone knows yes. that. No, everyone can eat pretty well, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't need a bib for the hot chocolate. No. I, some people might. <laughs> Maybe, <but>. yes. <laughs> um, the, the walk starts at 9, The and then there are two 5K runs. One is at 9.30 and one is at 10.15. Um, but that being said, yes, we certainly have fundraising goals. This year we're hoping to raise $800,000 for Safe Passage, um, it comes up to almost a third of our operating budget. And we talk about 20 years of impact and the need for safe passage. Uh, one of the amazing, truly amazing things about this event is that not just that 
these services are still needed, but it's allowed Safe Passage to expand the services that it can provide in a way that we would not have been able to do without community support like this. We would not have been able to expand and offer an immigration program. We would not have been able to expand our legal program. We would not have been able to create and grow our prevention work. So those are things that this event has allowed us to do um, and to reach more people and to continue to have an impact on domestic violence in our community. Um, as of this morning, before I walked into the studio, we were at 600. Talk about breaking news. Here we go. Yeah. What, do you, what do you got? <laughs> we were at $668,000 towards our goal of 800000 So we are getting so close. Um, well, I guess, except that if I'm doing the math correctly, say all you have to do in the next uh, day and a half is raise $132,000. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all. all. <laughs> um, yeah, but we have, you know, over 2,000 people. We have over six, almost 6,000 people who've registered for the race, and about wow. 2,000 of them are actively fundraising. Wow. And so when you have 2,000 people who are asking for $25, suddenly $132,000 doesn't seem so far out of reach. For listeners who say, I want to contribute, I want to be part of this community effort, what do they do? Absolutely. Even if you are not registered to participate, if you know someone who is registered and fundraising, you can make a contribution to their page. They may have already shared it with you. Or if you don't know anyone who's running and you want to make a donation, you can do so on the Hot Chocolate Run website, which is www.hotchocolaterun.com. The event itself. For those who somehow have not had the opportunity and the joy of being part of it, and by being part of it, I mean, from my point of view, uh, standing on the sidelines, and we'll be broadcasting there live as we do every year. Uh, what's the event itself? How, what does it look like? Uh, how many people are in downtown Northampton? Describe it for us. Yeah, absolutely. So the event takes place kind of behind the brewery in the intersection of the Hampton Avenue lot area. That's the starting line. That's the starting and finish line. So there's this kind of big area that we consider to be the venue. Um, like I said, we'll have pretty close to 6,000 registered participants, either taking place in the walk or the one of the runs. And then you have thousands of spectators who come out to cheer for those folks who are walking or running. And it really, it is absolutely incredible to look out at this sea of people who are taking a stand against domestic violence. You see are red hats, which means someone has fundraised $150 or more if they're wearing one of our fundraiser for hope hats. Um, you see costumes, you see people on stilts, you see, you know, families. There's and, the bear that runs. There's Santa Claus. <laughs> there's Santa Claus. There's, there's, there's tuba guy. Yes. A banana one. <laughs> the, the road race one year. Yeah. Yes. Pretty incredible. You know, you see families, you see people with dogs, you see, you know, it is truly very representative of our in our community um, showing up for Safe Passage. And this event has grown. Want to tell us a bit about the history of it, Marianne Winters, Executive Director of Safe Passage? Sure. I think, I think the first year the goal was... $5,000? Yes. The goal was to, from what, I, from what I understand, was to raise a little bit of money to try to fill the gap from a state funding cut that, um, that threatened our children's program at the time. Um, so breaking even was uh, considered a success. We raised $6,000. Um, we had about 200 runners, and that was before we did peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. It was the first um, stand that people took publicly 
uh, um, in this. And then, you know, year after year, it just increased. Um, the first year that I worked here, we were thrilled that the event had raised over $200,000. The next year, we were close to 300000 So um, it's, it's pretty phenomenal how it's grown. And it has become a very serious road race. Yes, absolutely. It's sanctioned. People run this road race. There's there's hills and challenges in it, so it helps them qualify for marathons and um, other other races. But yeah, that's it's competitive. The the road race itself is very competitive. The walk itself is for anyone. Yes, yes. Um, you know, I've seen people try to walk fast and get a you know kind of win the walk. <laughs> I've seen them, and the fun run is fun. Like people people run, people r- run and walk with their families. Um, so so there are essentially three something diff- for everybody, and there are three yeah. different. Three different uh, well, no, it's one events. Of, yeah, three different events. Yeah, yeah. There's a walk, a fun run, and a road race. Okay. So we are speaking with Marianne Winters, who is the executive director of Safe Passage, and Natalie Ulrich, who is the director of development. I want you to know more about this event and how you can participate. And we're going to do that right after this. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst Town Finance Committee is recommending the Town Council approve a $10 million borrowing authorization increase for renovations to the Jones Library. Town Manager Paul Bockelman assured residents the town's local share will not increase. Jones Library Trustee Eugene Gofredo says it's important to see the project through as planned. To reject the project would be a costly mistake. We would lose over $23 million of federal, state, corporate, and personal funds. The town council will vote on Monday with nine of the 13 councilors needed to vote in favor for the project to go to bid. A Catholic priest charged with stealing more than $100,000 from a Granby church has been sentenced to probation. Tomas Gorney has been sentenced to two years of probation and will have to pay $12,000 in restitution to the Diocese of Springfield. Gorney has also agreed to leave the priesthood. He was accused of using parish funds over three years to purchase personal items. He was a priest at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Church in Granby. Massachusetts lawmakers are weighing a bill that includes money for temporary shelter spaces for homeless families as the state struggles to find newly arriving migrants places to stay. House and Senate Democratic leaders announced a deal Thursday on a $2.8 billion spending bill two weeks after finishing their formal session. The bill would steer hundreds of millions of dollars to the state's emergency shelters, which are buckling under a crush of migrant and homeless families. Touch of sunshine this morning, but otherwise it's increasing clouds and some rain developing this afternoon, a high of 46 to 50. Clouds, showers, and drizzle tonight, overnight low of 30 to 36. Mostly cloudy on Saturday, a scattered light shower is a possibility, especially in the morning, a high of 48 to 52. Mostly cloudy, chance of rain on Sunday, a high in the upper 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't 
go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Rachel Maddow's new book is Prequel, The American Fight Against Fascism. Get it now at Broadside Bookshop. Democracy Awakening, Notes on the State of America is new from Heather Cox Richardson. And The Vaster Wilds is a new novel from Lauren Groff, a story of faith and survival set in the wilderness of early New England. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered anywhere or pick it up at the store. Then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop. A modern nutcracker, a lowbrow craft fair, a holiday pop sing-along. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. A 21st century nutcracker with dance styles from around the world set to Tchaikovsky's timeless score. Sunday, December 10th at 1 and 5 at Amherst High. It's a holiday doubleheader at Greenfield High, an artisan market, plus home for the holidays, sing-along pops concert. Saturday the 16th at 4. Fine and rare, a tasting of old and new Bordeaux wines from prestigious chateaus. Monday the 11th at Provisions Mill District. The Lowbrow Craft Fair. 25 artists and crafters. Quirky, fun, handmade goods. Saturday, December 9th at Northampton's First Churches. This is Jim Neal with What's Going On, a monthly look around at food and beverage, arts and music, and anything cool. What's Going On is presented by Provisions, wine, beer, cheese, at the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton, in the Mill District in North Amherst, and at the Longmeadow Shops. That song was recorded by the Beatles in 1965. And the reaction to the words, the lyrics, at the time was minimal. It was part of uh, a fabulous album by the Beatles, and the album was celebrated. Years later, the lyrics were condemned. It was actually prohibited, banned in a couple of places, and John Lennon disavowed the song. That said, I'd love to hear your reactions, Marianne Winters and Natalie Ulrich. Uh, Marianne is the executive director of Safe Passage. Natalie is the director of development. And they are here because we want you to know about Safe Passage's hot chocolate run for Safe Passage this Sunday here in Northampton with a fundraising goal of 800000 We'll get to how you can contribute, how you can help, how you can help fight domestic violence in just a moment. First, I'd like to know your reaction to listening to those lyrics, that song, 
these many years later. Marianne Winters, executive well, director. As soon as it came on, it gave me the chills. And that sentiment of, you know, if I can't have you, no one can, that is something that we hear over and over again over the years from survivors that their um, abusive partner has, has threatened. Right now, so now I think that the societal reaction would be very different. Um, you know, it has a snappy kind of rhythm to it. It's on a really great album. And when we talk about the societal change that we've been working on, this is a great example of that. Um, the fact that, you know, this was b obviously before the internet, but the Beatles, every, you know, p people in music, they were the influencers, right? They were the equivalent of, inf you know, YouTube influencers now. And people just would accept anything that they do without really listening to it or without really thinking about it. Um, there's so many examples in um, culture, cultural examples, TV shows, movies, where um, a sexual assault or domestic violence is kind of just part of the story and just seen as part of the whole picture without really a critical analysis. The thing that I think our movement has brought is that critical analysis, that way for parents to listen to um, what their kids are, are listening to, what they're watching, and have discussions when the message is contrary to um, healthy relationships and ending violence. And in your judgment, are the domestic violence laws in Massachusetts adequate? Do they work? There are always, there are always changes. I think that um, as much as laws are enforced and utilized, you know, there are, there's a good set of laws, um, but they, they often miss the needs of people who are marginalized from society. To really focus on um, criminal legal responses is not a full picture. And there are people where the, for the criminal legal response doesn't fit for them in terms of their own experience. Right. Often right. as the limitations of either not working, not addressing the right. situation that, right. th that an individual is in or that a yeah. relationship is in, and uh, often law enforcement yeah. is not the answer. It can be part of a problem. Right. And ending interpersonal violence can't be legislated. It has to be really built and, you know, like grown. Think of it the same way that we try to grow peace, right? It's, it's protective factors. It's um, cultural characteristics. And that's really what the Hot Chocolate Run, you know, is emblematic of as a community. Um, the Hot Chocolate Run is a lot of things. It's also a clear protective factor for our community um, in public health terms. You know, it, and by that I mean it's like something that happens in our community that gives a message of safety and of hope. Well, Marianne Winters, Executive Director of Safe Passage, I want to thank you so much for that segue because I wasn't sure how I, I was going to do it. So <laughs> let me turn to Natalie Ulrich, who is the director. You're welcome. And, <laughs> and tell me, please, tell us, how can we participate? How can we help? Tell us about the Hot Chocolate Run. It, Sunday begins at 8 o'clock. But I'm sure there's our websites and phone lines, and we can all help. How do we do it? Absolutely. Um, registration is still open, so if you want to participate as a walker or runner this weekend, you can still sign up at www.hotchocolaterun.com. Um, that is the same website that you can make a donation to try to help us meet our $800,000 goal as of this morning. Maybe it's gone up since we've been in the studio. That's an exciting thought. Um, but it was 668000 when I walked in here this morning. So, um, you know, every donation matters. And me and my team, we, we really mean that when we say that. $5 from 100 people 
you know, it adds up. And so if, if someone has something they want to contribute, we deeply appreciate that support. And you can support a team, a friend, uh, all sorts of ways to contribute. Yes. Yep. You can make a contribution to a friend's fundraising page, or you can make a general donation, which will come to that larger total and to the agency on um, www.hotchocolaterun.com. Okay. So as most of our listeners know, I do not uh, have pre-interview interviews with guests. I really don't know what they are going to say. So I'm a little, but I really wish I knew the answer to this before we went on the air, but I don't. One of the aspects of the Hot Chocolate Run that to me is just so, uh, has been so thrilling, has been the mugs from Hillary Price. And they're fabulous. She's amazing. She, of course, is the uh, creator of Rhymes with Orange. Are the mugs going to be in this year's hot chocolate run? Is that part of the occasion? Of course. What would it be without the mugs? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no there's no vessel in which what to kind of collect your hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. There's a 20th edition or 20th anniversary edition uh, mug from Hillary Price this year that is absolutely wonderful. You can check it out. We've shared it and uh, revealed it on our social media pages. And one on more time, where people can go to contribute, where you please, we all should go to contribute, is? www.hotchocolaterun.com. I saw a cell phone with perhaps some information going back and forth in the last 30 seconds. Yes. Do you have up updated since, breaking since, news for us? Since sitting in this studio, we've another $2,000 has come in, which is we're 84% yeah. of our goal. So that's incredible. One more time for the address? Oh, www.hotchocolaterun.com. Dot com, people. For both registration yes. and donating. Marion Winters, Executive Director, Natalie Ulrich, Director of Development of Safe Passage. Thank you so much. Hope it's a fabulous run and walk. Thank you so much. See you Sunday. Thank you. See you on Sunday. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Even though temperatures are dropping, local food never stops. Across Massachusetts, winter farmers markets are popping up, showcasing the finest handmade products and fresh produce from local farmers and small businesses. Eat local this season and experience the magic of supporting your local community. This message is sponsored by Mass Farmers Markets, a nonprofit passionately championing farmers markets across the state. Join us to eat local year-round at massfarmersmarkets.org. Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. This year, my office received the prestigious Fatherhood Award from the Children's Trust, a state child abuse prevention agency, for our work with the Nurturing Fathers program. We are proud of our partnership with the Children's Trust and firmly believe that strong, safe families help build strong, safe communities. If you're interested in joining our award-winning team, visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, submit an application online, or call and ask for our HR department. Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement, only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. 
Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned by providing free legal help. Contact the New England Pension Assistance Project at 888-425-6067 or visit them online at pensionhelp.org slash New England. A public service from the U.S. Administration on Aging's Pension Counseling and Information Program. Well, this is our usual time with Donna Bell Cassis, but we are having all sorts of technical difficulties connecting with Donna Bell. I know that she has with her and us today a special guest from Gray Matter Books, and Donna Bell is not here to uh, introduce our guest. So uh, I see the mystery guest on our Skype link. I hope this is working. Uh, as they used to say in the old television show, could you, could you sign in, please? And the, yes, sir. Well, this is not working. We are having terrible feedback. I'm afraid we're going to have to reschedule. So we will do that, um, I think. Unless you can try one more time on Skype. Could you say hello, sir? Nah, Hello. this doesn't work. Nah, this doesn't work. Maybe Donabel Cassis could sign off on Skype because I, I, think, it's, Skype this because I think it's this is her. Causing the feedback. There we go. There we go. No, doesn't work. Okay, we're going to reschedule this. We appreciate you trying to be with us this morning. We really do, and thank you so much. And we will reschedule. Let me turn back to one Dan Torres, who I has been dying to share with us some thoughts, and I would love to hear them. And so uh, it is an odd way to be able to find the time to do this. But Dan. Share with us what you were talking to Buzz and me about yesterday. Well, uh, yeah, uh, you mean the stories that I think are going on and globally that I think are important for people. And it's stories uh, that have happened recently in the last couple of weeks uh, involving both Argentina and the Netherlands. And the rise of, I guess, this populist right-wing conservative movement, Bill. And uh, to me, it's a sign of uh, the times globally how... There are a lot of uh, moving parts. Of course, you, we talk a lot about Donald Trump here, but this movement of sort of populist rebellion against the system is catching fire. I just want to say to the listening audience, it's Argentinian libertarian who wants to dollarize the economy. He got elected with 55% of the vote because their economy has had severe struggles with inflation mainly and other problems. And then in the Netherlands, interestingly, a populist right-wing party that wants to basically ban immigration, specifically Muslim immigration, wants to ban mosques and books and all of this, um, is to me uh, indicative of uh, of this sort of cultural fight that we're ha happening here in America, and it isn't just happening here; it's happening globally. And I just I'm just fascinated by that. I don't know what you think about it. Is you know we tend to think that what happens here doesn't cross borders, and the truth is, I think the world is becoming uh, ingrained in a lot of these cultural 
um, and I guess economic fights as well, but there's this sort of cultural feud and economic feud. And um, I don't know what, what, where, where we go with this, but I just want to say that it feels like the tide is, I guess, in some ways turning uh, against the sort of liberal principles that I think you've been fighting for in the law as well as buzz uh, for the last few decades. It kind of worries me, Bill. Well, part of it is a chicken and the egg problem, the way you phrase it. One is, mm. is this a matter of the United States' uh, political uh, culture being exported, or is it a matter of the world's political reality being imported into the United States? Because this rise of authoritarianism is, as you point out, a worldwide phenomenon. And I wonder from your point of view, mm. you know a lot because of your background sure. about Latin America. Sure. What, what do you see going on in Latin America, which to me is so frightening because I grew up in a time where, leave aside whether there was, uh, this was effective or not, whether it was helpful or not, but John F. Kennedy came to the president saying, we will have an alliance for progress in Latin America. And here we are talking about how the American dollar may become the currency of a Latin American country, really? Yeah. And that authoritarianism is celebrated with wildly on the streets? Tell, tell. Well, Ecuador and El Salvador already have that, but they're much smaller economies than Argentina. When you say have that. Have, have the dollar, literally, as the legal tender. So really? that has already been done, yeah. And so Argentina is just the biggest and most complicated economy. Um, you know, it's interesting. Latin America, you know, in the 2000s, had this, like, pink wave, as they called it, where they had... Uh, you know, left of center governments, and then you've had sort of a move to, I guess, right wing governments in certain countries, and so it's been it's been a feud. But I'll tell you this: you know, one of the the most, uh, I guess, left wing governments in in Chile's uh, recent history is elected currently. He had a referendum on a new constitution. It would have been really, really, really progressive on a lot of issues. I think that everybody here in the studio, everybody in Northampton, would have supported, and it got rejected by the voters. And so it's interesting how sometimes it's hard to gauge how popular our views are throughout the country. And we talk about bubbles. You know, I feel like uh, sometimes the bubbles get so small that you don't realize that some of these measures, quote unquote, take it too far. So a very progressive constitution was voted down in Chile, for example. And now they're going to vote on a new constitution, which is actually going to be pretty conservative and see if that has more popular will. Um, so, you know, Latin America is a complicated region that um, populist right-wing governments um, were, were removed, um, I guess, in Colombia and in Brazil. Um, and now there's, you know, center-left governments that are more progressive. But again, I think people get concerned if their economy worsens. And, uh, you know, the state of, of instability grows, they tend to vote for governments that will provide security for them. There's the safety element that goes for it. And Latin America can't I escape that. You know, it's a country, a lot of poverty. You know, we were talking about Argentina earlier. They have 40% poverty rate. That's, that's pretty high. And that's the official, official rate there. So I can see why people's anger at the political establishment you know, ended up voting for an outsider. The scary part is, do you know what the outsider is planning to do? You know, that's that's the bigger conversation. I mean, he planned some pretty radical cuts. Uh, you know, he's been he's been talking a lot of this game. The, new, the newly, newly elected government of Argentina, but he's planning to cut 
in social spending something equivalent to 15% of the gross domestic product. I mean, he wants to slash all social services that he can possibly get his hands on, but that's not how democracy works. He doesn't control the Congress, right? So it's, it's negotiations he has to make. And so, yeah, it's been leaning left for a few years, and, that, and then it was leaning right, and now people are trying to figure out the new center. They're We're talking to about Arge- more. Argentina. Argentina and Latin America in general. They're still trying to figure things out. You know, do you go left, do you go right? And voters in the middle aren't sure which direction to go. It all depends, I think, in the large parts. Is, is their life getting better? Is inflation under control? Are things seeming to progress? And when it doesn't, people sort of rebel. And in the Netherlands, people's lives are great. And they just still voted for one of the more anti-immigrant parties, one of the largest parties in their parliament. So you, you see how, like, these cultural battles that we're having... And by the way, the reason I'm talking about this as well, and it's in the back of my mind, is a debate that Newsom and DeSantis had uh, yesterday, which I watched parts of, um, which very much exhibit these cultural feuds that are happening in Latin America and in Europe. Do you recommend that we go online and see it? No, it wasn't great. And Sean Hannity was the moderator. I mean, what can you say about that, Bill? What do you say about that? Nothing Sean Hannity. Well, maybe we can't. Maybe it's a good place to say we can't say that on the air. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> we leave it there. Dan Torres, thank you You're so welcome. very, very, very welcome, much. Bill. Listening to Talk the Talk. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413-570-5989. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than 1,000 members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. Matt Piper, CBS News. Sandra Day O'Connor dead at the age of 93. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are gathering right now to vote on a motion to expel New York Republican George Santos from office. If there's a two-third majority in favor, he would be the first House member since the Civil War era to be removed without being convicted of a crime. Correspondent Nicole Killian. Oh! 
Okay, here's correspondent Nicole Killian. He would have to vacate his office. His nameplate would come down, but he may not have to surrender certain items like his congressional pin. Also, expelled members can run for Congress again, although Santos has indicated he will not seek re-election. At a hospital in Gaza, injured and dying patients hours after the Israel-Hamas ceasefire ended. Reporter Linda Gradstein is in Jerusalem. Hamas fired a few rockets uh, even before the truce uh, was officially over. And Hamas also did not provide a new list of hostages that it is willing to free. And Israel responded with airstrikes. But this time, as opposed to the airstrikes having been in the north of Gaza, now they're first striking the south, the city of Khan Yunus, which has long been kind of a Hamas stronghold. A suspect expected to make a court appearance in Las Vegas this morning after two Nevada state police officers were killed after they stopped to check on a driver who'd fallen asleep behind the wheel. Police say a driver under the influence had hit them and sped away. Deputy Chief Brandon Clarkson. I think it's important to remember that they have families, their husbands, they have kids, and it's especially tragic as coming into the holiday season. It'll be a good weekend to hunker down inside in the Northwest, Odyssey meteorologist Craig Allen. This is going to be a nice non-stop parade of storms coming in from the Pacific, and it's really going to drench much of the uh, western states here. This is CBS News. Make the hiring process work for you. With Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution, you can attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Start at Indeed.com slash credits. If you have unfiled taxes or are in debt to the IRS, this is important news. The IRS just rolled out a new program to help struggling taxpayers more easily resolve their tax problems. It's called the Taxpayer Relief Initiative, and it opens up powerful new options for people looking to get back on the right track with the IRS. And no one knows this program like the professionals at Optima Tax Relief, America's most trusted tax resolution company. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients and have the expertise and experience to help you. One easy call to Optima can start the process, helping to put an end to your worries of wage garnishment, asset seizure, and other aggressive IRS actions. Make today the beginning of your fresh start with the IRS. Call the experts at Optima Tax Relief now for your free confidential consultation. Call 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. A court appearance for an American held in Russia. A Russian court has extended the pretrial detention of U.S.-Russian journalist Alsu Kermasheva until February 5th. That word came from her employer, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, which calls the detention politically motivated. She was arrested for failing to register as a foreign agent in October. She denies the charges and faces up to five years in prison if found guilty. Steve Kathan, CBS News. An interruption at New York's Metropolitan Opera. Climate protesters shouted from the balconies on opening night at Wagner's Tannhäuser. They unfurled banners that read, No Opera on a Dead Planet. Officials were forced to bring down the curtain for more than 20 minutes halfway through the second act. Crowd jeered, then burst into applause. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst Town Finance Committee is recommending the town council approve a $10 million borrowing authorization increase for renovations to the Jones Library. Town manager Paul Bockelman assured residents the town's local share will not increase. Jones Library trustee Eugene Gofredo says it's important to see the project through as planned. 
to reject the project would be a costly mistake. We would lose over $23 million of federal, state, corporate, and personal funds. The town council will vote on Monday with nine of the 13 councilors needed to vote in favor for the project to go to bid. A Catholic priest charged with stealing more than $100,000 from a Granby church has been sentenced to probation. Tomas Gorney has been sentenced to two years of probation and will have to pay $12,000 in restitution to the Diocese of Springfield. Gorney has also agreed to leave the priesthood. He was accused of using parish funds over three years to purchase personal items. He was a priest at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Church in Granby. Massachusetts lawmakers are weighing a bill that includes money for temporary shelter spaces for homeless families as the state struggles to find newly arriving migrants places to stay. House and Senate Democratic leaders announced a deal Thursday on a $2.8 billion spending bill two weeks after finishing their formal session. The bill would steer hundreds of millions of dollars to the state's emergency shelters, which are buckling under a crush of migrant and homeless families. Touch of sunshine this morning, but otherwise it's increasing clouds and some rain developing this afternoon, a high of 46 to 50. Clouds, showers, and drizzle tonight, overnight low of 30 to 36. Mostly cloudy on Saturday, a scattered light shower is a possibility, especially in the morning, a high of 48 to 52. Mostly cloudy, chance of rain on Sunday, a high in the upper 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. Buzz Eisenberg is off today. I am so pleased that we could arrange to have with us today on the show Sarah Pirtle because, well, the republication of a book that is, I think, of enormous importance title, which is An Outbreak of Peace, uh, is just so resonant today, given the wars in Ukraine and in uh, and the, of course, the war between uh, Israel and Hamas. Uh, and the author, Sarah Pirtle, was so important to my kids' lives. We listen to her music all the time. Sarah Pirtle, as many of you know, is a recording artist and a poet, and for 50 years uh, she has uh, taught cooperation, but it's also she has engaged in peace building. She is the founder of the Discovery Center for Peace Building, which was an organization that she has, uh, organized in 1992. One of her songs, and this is a song that has traveled internationally, is My Roots Go Down, the title of the book, an outbreak of peace. I'd love to listen for a bit to My Roots Go Down. Oh, 
Sarah Pirtle brings back so many memories. Thank you for being with us today. I really, really appreciate you, your music, your writing, and your work. Tell us about An Outbreak of Peace, newly published or republished. It's kind of an interesting story. Talk to us about it. I started this book because I wanted young people who were feeling deep despair to have a lifeline, to have a sense of what it would be like to meet other young people who cared as much as they did about the war and about the world and about how things can be can make sense. In fact, one of the readers said when she read it at 12 years old that it was like I was honoring her own moral voice. So what happens in the book, and it, I imagine it taking place in Conway, but I call it a different name, Larkspur, is that a person who's 14 is um, confronted with the the death of one of the dearest persons in her life, her grandmother, and she takes it into her artwork. She begins to create pieces of uh, how she wishes the world could be. She meets other young people, and many things happen where they say to each other, we want to declare an outbreak of peace, and they ask their town meeting to vote on this. But before that, you see them um, meeting the the most famous potter in town. She was born in a Japanese internment camp. They begin to really learn about parts of the world that is important to engage with. So I talk about becoming partners in truth, bearing witness to what should not have been, and Bill, I'm so glad to be talking to you about it because there were 26 young people in the 1980s who worked with me. They were from 15 different towns. One right now is the young adult librarian in Sunderland, Heather McGurk, and she said she could remember back, she was 15, on a bulletin board in Amherst High School. She saw this poster that said, Come and draw your hopes and fears for the future. Now, not everyone would have been attracted to that, but she said, I'm going to invite my two best friends. And she ended up inviting her younger sister, who was having nightmares. So they became the key artists. There's 80 illustrations in this 400-page book. But what holds it together is this, this story of these young people caring for each other. Well, tell me about that some more, and tell us a bit of the history of the book. I want to know many things. One is, why present this story as a novel? Why have so many uh, drawings that are just so beautiful as part of it? And why do it really? Why why the, the novelization of something that is really very identifiable as Western Massachusetts? when I read a novel is I feel like I'm drawn into a world. So I wanted people to be in this world where they had young people who were dealing with um, like racial slurs at basketball games and they stand behind their friend who's receiving this treatment and they, they figure out things to do. They get active on making things better. They talk to the coaches. They talk to people in the stands who are making the comments. See, one of the things that happened for me in my 20s is that I was able to be part of the Women's Pentagon Action, which was 
a group of literally surrounding the whole Pentagon. And then I was part of an action at Seneca Falls, which was to eliminate that there were uh, nuclear weapons at the Seneca Depot. And you'll appreciate this, that Andrea Vazian, Francis Crow, and I were all in an affinity group. <laughs> the all-star affinity, women's affinity group, wow. So but, while I was there, Bill, is the first time I ever sang My Roots Go Down. So here we are, three of us and more, in a car. I've, I wrote that song. I just thought it was just a private little song. But I sang it to Francis and Andrea, and they said, get that song out in the world. I think it's like an emblem of what it is when you, you take a chance and then you and other people reach out their hands, and suddenly you're not alone. The book, An Outbreak of Peace, was first published when? It came out in 87. And you've from... changed it a lot, or at least significantly, and it was just republished. Uh, what's the difference, and what did you add or change about it? I wanted to put Wally and Juanita Nelson in that book, because I wanted the readers to feel what they're like. When I was 29, I met them, and they changed my life. So what I love doing is noticing people that, that, whose lives and conscience are like a flame. And then I wanted people to meet them in the book. Randy Keeler is another example, one of the main characters who has created a notebook of all the things he can collect about what young people are doing. He gets to meet Randy. So back there in the 80s, there were young people from Vermont who went to the White House with thousands of letters to the president. There was a group right here in Northfield in Franklin County called Stop Nuclear War, and two young people who went to high schools all over the country. So these are things that have been lost to the sands of time. So I put them in the book so that readers today could meet them. One of the illustrators, like when you were saying what's different, we've got some new illustrations by a group called Long Line for Racial Justice that I started in 2020 after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So she lives in East Hampton, Nora Binkley, and she did fantastic drawings for this. One of the things that she said to me is she had no idea that the National Nuclear Weapons Freeze started right here in Franklin and Hampshire County. So I'm trying to raise up examples that I think make a difference. Do you have for this book a specific uh, age group in mind? Is it a young adult novel, something, a, a title, a, a rubric I really don't uh, like very much as a category because I think... YA novels actually appeal to everyone. Yeah, but but I, do, you, do you have a specific uh, age group in mind or not? Right now, I've been finding that every age group finds a way into it. Um, a friend in Plainfield was reading the book, and she said to me, she wrote me a note and said, this is one of the best books I've ever read because I can see through the eyes of young people. <laughs> She said, I wished I had friends at that age who could talk with me about what was disturbing in the world and then set out to do something about it together. 
So I think that it's really for all ages, and I, I put that on the back cover. I've been finding um, people are interested when I'm showing conflict among the characters. There's one character who I dearly love named Riley, who's, um, you know, he could be written off as a goofball, but he is a really deep character. And he, one day when they're all, so in the, so we've got art imitating life. In real life, for four years, these young people met with me and made drawings of, of their hopes and fears for the future. And those, I hadn't set out to write a book. I set out to do an art display, and we did end up doing one at Thorne's Marketplace. But what happened is, I just loved these young people, and I wanted people to meet them, and I felt that the novel was the best way for them to be there. So that's that's an example of how this how this happens. So it really is for everyone. Yeah. The book the book was extremely well received when it was first published in 1987 and in fact it won the Olive Branch award mm. which I thought if, is it okay with you if I if I read oh. what that what that says Oh sure says this. Sarah Pirtle's novel for young readers is an inspiring book that communicates the message that there is something young people can do to make a statement about peace on a personal level. It is a realistic book with believable adult characters whose concerns, whether they favor or oppose an outbreak of peace, are taken seriously. But it is Sarah Pirtle's sensitivity to young people and their feelings that simply shines through. And that is the award, the Olive Branch Award, which she won, quote, for the outstanding book on the subject of world peace, awarded by the Center for War, Peace, and News Media at New York University and the Editor's Organizing Committee of the Writers and Publishers Alliance in 1987. The book, again, the title is An Outbreak of Peace. It was just republished and having been changed and made more current. It is based on the activity and the activists here in Western Massachusetts. The illustrations are just, just the drawings are just inspiring and brilliant. And we're going to continue our conversation with Sarah Pirtle and talk more about an outbreak of peace right after this. We're taking a chance. We're taking a chance to join sit down together and I can see better by the light in your eyes and that light will lead us back home hands across the hills you're listening to talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg you're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. Do you struggle with occasional nerve aches in your hands or feet? Try Nervive Nerve Relief from the world's number one nerve care company. 
Nervive tablets contain alpha-lipoic acid to relieve nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort, plus B-complex vitamins to support healthy nerve function as you age. Live life with less nerve discomfort with Nervive Nerve Relief. Learn more at NerviveHealth.com. And try Nervive Pain Relieving Cream to block nerve pain signals at the source. Use as directed. I grew up in West County, but I didn't know there were places like Nelquit until I realized that my mom needed some help. My dad was always controlling and kind of jealous. But after I left for college, it was just the two of them, and it seemed like it was just getting worse. My mom wasn't going out as much, and he would check her cell phone all the time to see who she was calling. Then he started threatening her. I talked to a friend who lives in the area, and she told me about Nelquit. I called the hotline because I was worried about her staying in the house that night. They understood why I was so worried, and they were able to help her to get to my grandma's house in Boston. Nelquit, New England Learning Center for Women in Transition, offering 24-hour crisis line support, walk-in appointments, counseling, safe plan, legal services, and supportive supervised children's visitation. If you or someone you know needs Nelquit, please reach out to them. They'll be there. 479 Main Street, Greenfield, Nelquit.org, N-E-L-C-W-I-T.org or call 772-0871. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are back with Shelburne Falls resident Sarah Pirtle, one of my all-time favorite recording artists, whose new book is An Outbreak of Peace, available obviously through your local independent bookstore and through Sarah Pirtle. Can we get it through your, your website as well, Sarah? That's right, and also Broadside Books has it. Okay, great. An Outbreak of Peace. Uh, well, before we uh, listen to some commercial messages, uh, we played your song, uh, hands Across the Hills. You want to tell us what inspired that and where Hands Across the Hills stands today? And for those of our listeners who don't remember what it is? We're a dialogue group that formed right after the 2017 election. We had people from Leverett, led by Paula Green, who has done dialogue in 30 countries. And we connected to folks in eastern Kentucky in coal country, Letcher County. What we did is for six years, we did dialogue with each other and really formed lifelong friendships. But at the same time, we became an example. We were written up in the New York Times, I heard on NPR. Example because our goal was not to change each other, but to understand each other. And that resulted in, among other things, a lot of publicity here in Western Massachusetts about whether it was possible for persons who are devoted to Donald Trump could speak to the progressives and speak meaningfully with the progressives from Leverett, Massachusetts. Did it work? What worked is that we got below the, the political differences to common values, one of the people who spoke was named Gwen Johnson, and she had this phrase, how, how did the beast bite you? So she means that everybody's affected when you're in a culture where there's a lot of violence. And 
so we kept finding that that there was such value in us taking the time to hear each other. It really wasn't true that everyone who came from Kentucky was um, of that persuasion. There, we we found differences over guns, but we found commonalities over um, community care so that after the flooding happened, where that county was the worst hit in Kentucky, we raised money and we expressed our caring in that way. Bill, may I ask a question? This is Dan. Um, you can find Trump supporters maybe 20, 30 minutes from here. What's the advantage uh, to you and, and the group to bring people who support Donald Trump from Kentucky? It, it grew up in a different way than that. There was a group in Leverett who did reach out to people nearby. And then so I think somehow how life moves is it's not like in a straight line. So a man from Kentucky was talking about his old own friendships, like with the fire chief and different, and he himself as a, um, a man who's been in that area as a, as a person who's Jewish, finding that his, um, that difference of religion, people built friendships and didn't shut him out. And most of the people from Leverett are Jewish. When we went to Kentucky, because we had these live dialogues, they put on for Friday night a Shabbos service, and it was just blown people away, because that's, I think, a good example, that it's, it's not about are you red or are you blue, you know, it's what's happened in your life. So when Gwen told us that her brothers died in the mines, everybody there had had family who died in the mines, and then people talking about the Holocaust. That bonded us. Well, that's some story. Uh, I, I, Sarah Pirtle, I, I, I'd like to ask you and go back to, if we might for a minute, to An Outbreak of Peace, your book just published and republished, uh, changed since it was first uh, made its uh, birth in the world in 1987 and was, as we've noted, an award-winning uh, novel. The blurb on the book in this republication from 2023 says that the story of young activists in the 1980s can inspire today's work for Black Lives Matter, climate change, protecting the earth, and opening dialogue across divides. Here is an invitation to speak out for change in your strongest voice, it is a window into homegrown peace. In your view, is there a significant difference in the book, other than, of course, the, some of the characters and some of the uh, plot, plot lines, um, between what you wrote in 1987 and what you wrote in 2013? What's the same is that people have an example of not being like alone with despair. Instead of feeling like there's nothing you can do, I can't change anything, I'm immobilized, finding that there are ways through. And that's stayed the same. The same characters go to their town meeting and have a town-wide debate on whether or not the town is going to declare an outbreak of peace, which means for them that 
everybody would identify something that they do that builds community. So it isn't like a narrow sense, but it involves social justice or a farm stand um, giving away produce, just widely, widely explored. And the moments when um, the characters support each other are exemplified around the National Day of Mourning. One thing that's been very important to me since the book first came out, Bill, was attending the National Day of Mourning, really learning more about accurate Native history. I didn't feel qualified to create a character. Uh, I've been learning a lot about... uh, So what I did instead is that this character who's always thought of as a real comedian, his father from the very first in the 1970s has been part of going to a National Day of Mourning and his father dies in a car accident and you you learn the, um, the, the importance of speaking, I call it being a partner in truth, talking about things that shouldn't have happened. Well, that raises for me uh, the question, I, if, I hope this is okay to ask. Uh, I, Henry Kissinger just passed. He was 100 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. And I wonder if you have some reflections on him and what he did, because my view is that Henry Kissinger, uh, frankly, was one of the instigators of some of the most horrifying conflicts in the world and some of the worst public policy ever imposed by the United States on other countries, resulting in death and authoritarianism and death of democracy uh, many places. Um, that's my view, and I'd appreciate it if you would share yours. So I, I share that same, and that's, I think, what I mean about being a partner in truth, being able to say how horrific actions are by a person who is thought of as influential, as famous. So people are kind of, who can be swerved away from those strong attractors, the powerful man, to instead, people like Paula Green, people like Randy Keeler, Dan Ellsberg, who was, did what he did because of Randy Keeler. So it's so important that we don't um, tell lies about people who've done extraordinary harmful actions that's what i think outbreak of peace means to me when you wake up in the morning instead of saying i can't do anything unless i can change a bully instead you say i'm stepping into the future that i want and i'm remembering the people like wally and juanita nelson i'm remembering fannie lou hamer on my desk right here, I have the book Farming While Black by Leah Penniman. So when I want to feel uplifted, I read Farming While Black about Soul Fire Farm that's just like an hour and a half from here. So these examples of people who are making big changes, having BIPOC farmers have land, um, that's so exciting to me. So that's where I want to put our attention on the beacons, influential people, not because they're famous or they were able to wreak havoc over, you know, um, but instead people who are like illuminators, the person in your life who models how to talk things out, the teacher who made you 
feel that that you that you matter. I mean, here's an example: a high school student came to interview me as part of a project, and what he wanted to know is with a with a large number of young people who are feeling depressed, anxious. Uh, what what does that mean? Does it mean something's individually wrong with them? So I was able to to say instead this in this time when there's a epidemic of violence that it, that kind of sorrow that that people talk about. Like I went to um, the co-op recently, and the person behind the counter was talking about waking up day after day feeling immobilized. So the book talks about reaching out to other people, but most of all, there's this whole constellation of people all over the world who are trying to make things better. And what I like to do is wake up in the morning and remember them. We are going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Sarah Pirtle. Her new book, available locally at your local independent bookstore, is An Outbreak of Peace. She has been a stalwart activist in this valley and in throughout western Massachusetts and the world. Her music is a worldwide phenomenon for decades. Sarah Pirtle, it is an honor and a pleasure to have spent time with you today. Thank you so very much for your book. Thank you for your music. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Bill. It's been an honor to be talking to you. There's a place that I know where the sycamores grow and daffodils have their fun where the cares of the day seem to slowly fade away and the glow of the is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst Town Finance Committee is recommending the Town Council approve a $10 million borrowing authorization increase for renovations to the Jones Library. Town Manager Paul Bockelman assured residents the town's local share will not increase. Jones Library Trustee Eugene Gofredo says it's important to see the project through as planned. To reject the project would be a costly mistake. We would lose over $23 million of federal, state, corporate, and personal funds. The town council will vote on Monday with nine of the 13 councilors needed to vote in favor for the project to go to bid. A Catholic priest charged with stealing more than $100,000 from a Granby church has been sentenced to probation. Tomas Gorney has been sentenced to two years of probation and will have to pay $12,000 in restitution to the Diocese of Springfield. Gorney has also agreed to leave the priesthood. He was accused of using parish funds over three years to purchase personal items. He was a priest at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Church in Granby. Massachusetts lawmakers are weighing a bill that includes money for temporary shelter spaces for homeless families as the state struggles to find newly arriving migrants places to stay. 
House and Senate Democratic leaders announced a deal Thursday on a $2.8 billion spending bill two weeks after finishing their formal session. The bill would steer hundreds of millions of dollars to the state's emergency shelters, which are buckling under a crush of migrant and homeless families. Touch of sunshine this morning, but otherwise it's increasing clouds and some rain developing this afternoon, a high of 46 to 50. Clouds, showers, and drizzle tonight, overnight low of 30 to 36. Mostly cloudy on Saturday, a scattered light shower is a possibility, especially in the morning, a high of 48 to 52. Mostly cloudy, chance of rain on Sunday, a high in the upper 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. It's getting very, very merry. Today, in downtown Amherst, it's the very merry maple lighting. Gather around on the Amherst Town Common for the lighting of the tree, cider and donuts, and s'mores. The UMass Minuteman Marching Band, photos with Santa, horse-drawn carriage rides for all. A very merry maple lighting. Today, 3 to 6 p.m. on the Amherst Town Common. Plus, today and Saturday, card days. Get merry with downtown Amherst merchants. 20% off all day. Merry, merry, merry downtown Amherst. What I was told was bone on bone. I was going to have to have knee replacement, and I do not like surgery. Desperate to avoid surgery, Julie decided to check out QC Kinetics non-surgical regenerative treatments. My daughter actually works in a Chapel Hill, North Carolina lab, and I sent her all of the information that I was given. And she's like, oh, mom, this is for you. I've heard great things about this. She's like, you need to try it before ever doing surgery. Julie started the QC Kinetics natural biologic treatments right in the office using her own healing properties to help restore her damaged tissue. I know my daughter was right. Yeah, It's nice when you've got that um, person you can go to who might have a little bit more information, especially on the science of it. QC Kinetics, it's life-changing. Find out if you're a good candidate. Call QC Kinetics now for your free consultation. Call QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We have received news that former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor has passed. Uh, she was the first woman justice on the court. She was very conservative. By today, she might be considered moderate. moderate. <laughs> uh, Goes back to our earlier conversation. But what, what she did, I think, towards the end of her life was very courageous. Uh, she said, I am suffering from dementia. Mm. I will no longer be able to participate in public life, and therefore it is time for me to exit. And I think that her courage in being both public about her condition and doing what was responsible and appropriate was a credit to her. Yeah, 93 years old. Um, you know, and, and we look at her as very conservative, maybe by the 1980s standard. But by the end of the Bush administration, wasn't she the one holding the more extreme line of conservatives? If I remember the way the media described her, she was 
more of a libertarian and not willing to go as far as certain other conservatives on the court. Yeah, but she also, she, also, she also voted to install uh, George Bush as president yeah. when it was really clear that the Florida count, count. was, well, how to put it, not done. Flawed. Yeah. <laughs> At best. I mean, Al Gore won that election, and the Supreme Court said, no, we're going to pick the president. And that's what they did. Yeah. yeah. I want to make one other uh, note. You had pulled up while we were talking about Henry Kissinger. Yes. Uh, and this uh, kind of violates the adage, speak no ill of the uh, no longer living, but. There were some things that you had noted about well, Yes, yeah, so I was just looking at an article uh, when you mentioned that about Henry Kissinger, 1968. He undermined the the work that LBJ was doing to end the Vietnam War. Yeah, we five so years, five so years before, how so many close. lives would have been saved, both American and Vietnamese? You could look at 1969, carpet bombing of Cambodia. You can look at East Pakistan and the death of 300,000 Bengals that the U.S. tacitly approved. Uh, 1973 in Chile, uh, overthrow of Allende and the violence that it, it, Pinochet would elicit uh, in that country for decades. Um, yeah, those are just the lists. But it's interesting how the political elite, both Republican and Democrat, seem to praise him highly for his uh, American stature, cent- American-centric American. uh, worldview yeah. and imposition. He did open uh, trade. Trade with China? China. Yeah, yeah that's I true. guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, yesterday on the show... We were talking with Dave Hoy, who is the founder, owner of Ana Bandera Chocolates. How do you do on the How do you do in the Princeton? That's actually pretty good, Bill. That was better than what you did off there. I gotta say, I don't know. We'll let Dave correct it because his Portuguese is pretty good. Okay, how's what is the correct pronunciation? Ana Bandera Chocolates. Okay, I'm not going to yeah. try yeah. that. But I, I would I would like to know. Uh, you were right on Main Street. You opened a year ago. Yeah. Uh, I saw the sign saying. A chocolatier here in Northampton. Uh, really, this is going to work, but it has. The shop's been fabulous, I yeah. think, and I see a lot of a lot of customers. I love your coffee. Uh, tell tell us how the, how how are you doing? Well, yeah, it's really picking up. I mean, it's obviously for any new business, it's never easy in the beginning. Um, and coming into downtown Northampton, where you know it's it's not cheap. It was also a real challenge for us and continues to be a challenge, but uh, I feel really fortunate because we've had such a nice response from the community. We have people who are there, you know, we <laughs> I have people who are there multiple times a day who know my staff by name, know what's going on in their lives. It's just the amount of interaction that we get to have with people here in Northampton has just been <laughs> fantastic. When you were uh, leaving the studio yesterday, I raised with you the question, and I asked you whether you would be willing to come back on the show and tell us your views about the Main Street redesign project, and Mm -hmm. you said yes, and I appreciated that, and Mm -hmm. I want to find out what you think about it and what you know, uh, might know about what other business owners think about it, and I do not know your position, but (laughs) I really do want to know, so share that with us if you would, please. All right. Well, let me see if I can do that in a way with where I won't get myself in any trouble. Um, uh, I think uh, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know everything about the project. I went to some, you know, some meetings with the city for business owners um, earlier this year, where they kind of filled us in, and um, people were able to kind of speak their minds about what they thought about it. Um, I, in general, think 
it's time for Northampton to have a redesign. I think that there are some pretty, pretty significant challenges with the way that things flow in Northampton, right? Um, I don't think it's easy to implement something like that uh, without a little bit of a little bit of pain. You know, I don't. I think it's 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 going to happen. There's probably going to be some challenges for us as businesses, and I I hope that the the city will be as supportive as they can and help us find ways to get through it. But overall, I mean, it's a anybody that I I know. I'm not from this area. Uh, I remember coming to this downtown and being like, "What is going on? What is what is this Main Street that's like the width of of seven lanes and is sort of two lanes?" And it's it's just such it's such a joke with anybody who I know who comes and visits from out of town because it's 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 kind of absurd. I've never seen a, another downtown quite like that. So <laughs> something needs to happen. It's not. I don't think it's the safest uh, downtown from the statistics I've heard. Um, I think that a facelift will be really, really, really nice in the long run. I do think it's going to be a challenge in the short term. So, yeah, let's look at both of those. The short term, what people are concerned about, and I take it what you as a retail merchant are mm -hmm. concerned about, is whether or not there's going to be significant disruption to sidewalks and yeah, traffic that will keep people from your business. Yeah. Uh, have you had meetings? Have these meetings that the city's had with business owners, have those meetings addressed this? Yeah, and, and I think that the, I mean, again, like I, I'm not, I am not the the authority on this at all um, but from the the you know the plans that I looked at and the meeting that I that I was attending um, I think that there will be some disruption you know I think that's inevitable um, I think that the plan to kind of do it in phases is designed to hopefully you know limit the, those disruptions yeah to mitigate the damage right um, but but I mean you know if you're gonna redo a sidewalk it's it's gonna you're gonna have to close something for for a little while and so we'll have to we'll have to deal with it, um, and my hope is that what comes out of that will be something that'll be more attractive to people and that will bring in more people in the long run. Yeah. Have you had discussion with other business owners about the redesign project? Not in depth, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, I know that I would say that. My my perception is that there's a significant amount of concern uh, amongst business owners because they're just they're they're just you know it's it's an unknown we don't know how it's going to work we're all I'm already nervous about next year and next month and tomorrow as a business owner anyway and so when you have another unknown it can be really scary um, so I I really I think that the key is going to be um, being able to find the support needed because when we have these business disruptions if there's you know i don't know i don't know what's out there if there's state funding if there's grants or if there are pro project projects or extra marketing or whatever we can do to help um help the businesses get through it i think it'll it'll be good yeah and to make it appear and to have some reality as well right. that northampton is still open for business and you can still have this experience of Northampton. Right, right. Okay, it's it's a little bit odd that we have some construction going on, but you yeah. should still come. You can still go to the yeah. restaurants, the stores, you yeah. can purchase, you can stroll, all of that. That's going to require some significant marketing effort, I, yeah. I would think. I would guess that that's kind of going to be the main issue. But, I, I mean, they've been thinking about this for a long time. Like it's not This didn't come out of nowhere. I think the project to, to start looking at it was 15 years old or 20 years old. It's 
it's not a, it's not a new thing. So uh, obviously the you know the city has its own best interests at heart, and they're they're not they're not ignoring that you know vibrancy of business is a big part of. Right, the city you know, understands gonna, the issue yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, whether or not everyone, everyone agrees on the solution is a different issue. But right. I also think it's significant <laughs> that over 95%, maybe 98% of this project is being paid for by the state, not by the city, which yeah. is an enormous. It's huge. Uh, 19 of the 21 million. Yeah. That's what I saw. That's or at least huge. that's what the mayor said as well. 19 would come from grants at federal and state. I mean, that's un unheard of, really, right. to cover a project of $21 million. Yeah. So. I would like to know, uh, 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 Dave Hoy, you open a chocolate shop. You're a chocolatier. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, a specialty item in mm -hmm. some, some ways. Right. Um, why did you want to open that shop? And what brought you to Northampton? Well, that's, that's a long, that's a, that's a complicated question. I'll see if I can condense it. Um, the complicated question for most of our uh, uh, guests who I ask is, there was a person involved. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's often how it yeah. goes, but maybe not for you. Well, for me, it's, it's, so what happened is I've, I've been a musician. That's what the, la the interview yesterday was about, is I've been a musician my entire life. Um, my wife, who's from Brazil, has a cocoa farm in Brazil. Uh, her family does. Uh, which they've been operating for four generations now. Um, and just out of my wife's love, really, for chocolate, we started, you know, and, and her, her brother also has always wondered uh, what would our chocolate taste like, which is a common question for cocoa growers. They, they don't oh, because, often get to oh, try their they, own chocolate, they right? Grow, they grow the cocoa beans, but they never saw They never the, see the chocolate, right. Or taste it. And that was the case for wow. my wife's family as well. They... they they sold the cocoa to uh, to other companies who would sell it internationally. Um, so we wanted to see what it'd be like to make it ourselves. So my brother-in-law did a you know made some in a blender uh, ten years ago, and he's like, "Well, that's technically chocolate." Uh, <laughs> and then from there, uh, we ended up a few years later. Um, we ended up getting a melanger, which is a a stone grinder, so you can grind down the cocoa with sugar and actually make it into chocolate. So I bought that for my wife for our anniversary. We just started doing it for fun. Um, then I started selling chocolate bars on on tours when I was out playing music and realized that it's a fantastic merch item because people will buy it every time I come through town instead of just the once that they would for a CD, um, <laughs> which is huge. I mean, it's it's CDs aren't selling now, so what can we do? Sell chocolate. So chocolate. And you learn, look, your chocolate is delicious. How did you learn how to make it? Um, I've always, I grew up in a family that was, you know, we always cooked a lot. Uh, we always played a lot of music. It's a creative family and uh, really valued that. So I really, it was self, mostly self-taught, just getting a machine, going through the process, starting to make it, seeing what I could do to make it better, reading books. Um, and then... You know, we, we just kept going, and then we started. We did some courses in Belgium and things as well, but wow. um, that was the, the main part is, is self-taught. So. We are speaking with Dave Hoy. He is the owner of Ana Bandera Chocolates. How'd I do? You did pretty well, Bill. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's it's all right. It was a solid B minus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was B. good. Yeah. That was good. We'll be back with more. We're going to have music live in the studio right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op. Wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Sending, requesting, and receiving money person-to-person is a snap with Zelle and the Greenfield Savings Bank mobile app. Zelle is a free benefit of GSB Online Banking. Once you've enrolled, whenever you need to send or receive money from family, friends, or people you trust, just use your GSB mobile app to go to Zelle. For instance, when you bought the advance tickets for a movie or concert and your friend needs to pay you back, just tell them to go to Zelle. Or when you need to split the tab at a restaurant, tell your friends to go to Zelle. When you need to pay the babysitter, go to Zelle. When your kid at college texts you that they need cash right away, or when you need to pay the landlord, tell them to go to Zelle. The possibilities are endless with Zelle and Greenfield Savings Bank. Zelle and Greenfield Savings Bank, the fast, easy, safe way to send, request, and receive money from friends, family, and people you trust. Member FDIC, member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Dave Hoy, owner of Anabandera Chocolates here on Main Street in Northampton. You played for us on the show yesterday, and I want you to play for us again. You are an extremely accomplished cellist, Mm -hmm. and... I notice that you are having musical events pretty regularly at uh, at Anabandera Chocolates. Tell us yeah. about that. Um, it's mostly pretty informal, but we do have a lot of music going on. On every Thursday uh, afternoon, we have an old time jam. A bunch of fiddlers come and occupy the cafe and and play fiddle music, which is a lot of fun. Um, and then it's not a regular thing, but Fridays and Saturdays we have we pretty often have people coming in to play. Um, I sometimes will play with a friend if I have a friend in town, or you know I have some musicians who also live in the area, so we'll just throw something together. And in addition to chocolates, mm. coffee, uh, yeah, you coffee. have you have for sale what? So the the main thing, the thing I should plug right now as we get into Christmas time is we have awesome gifts for 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 holidays, right? So we have. The chocolate bars are really what really great. They keep really well. We have really beautiful gift boxes with our chocolate bars. Um, we some of our chocolate bars are uh, just won some international awards both this year and last year. So uh, we went to a big festival and they they gave us the gold medal as the best milk chocolate. Wow, they're, they're happy about there's that. a job where you is it's to chase chocolate. I want to applaud you. We're gonna do we're gonna do that off the it's air. True. I don't want other people to know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, we got and then we have food and, and everything. The, the cafe is a really warm, inviting place, so it's it's a good place. Yeah, to and, and and there is more than chocolate. Yeah, there's more than chocolate, but the chocolate's good. 
The chocolate's great. <laughs> but there were also some sandwiches. Sandwiches, and, breakfast, lunch, yeah, uh, great coffee. Also imported from Brazil um, from one of our neighbor farms. So it's it's really a cool thing. Would you be kind enough to play? You brought the sure. cello. I yeah. really appreciate it. That Happy was brilliant to. yesterday. Maybe you could share some yeah. more of your music with us today. Yeah, I thought I would play a, a piece that's related to the chocolate. Um, it's called Vitoria. It's about my wife's hometown where our company has our little production and our other store. We have one here in the U.S., one in Brazil. Um, so, yeah. Dave Hoy. Line. The streams of traffic anchor the land so that she won't drift on. Sisters on a rock keep an ever watchful eye. Leviathans on the horizon await to receive her bounty. There's a little bell I waits for her time to shine. This Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m., Boss Game Mountain in Pittsfield is offering a 30% discount on any 8-hour lift ticket. Boss Gay's family-friendly vibe welcomes everyone. Whether it's your first time skiing or you're a pro on the slopes, we can't wait to see you on the mountain. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Boss Gay Mountain in Pittsfield, Mass. Available this Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org, or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 turn